Welcome to Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla, where it's you who sets the conversation. Join us for the next hour as we take a fresh look at how we think about spirituality. Well, we're not going to talk about spirituality in a generic sense today. It's a special time. It's a special day of the year. And so what else should we talk about? Obviously, welcome to Fresh Thinking. It's wonderful to be with you. Purim is just hours away. I guess it depends where in the world you are. If you're in Oz, it's already Purim for you in the Far East. I don't know where else. But uh, we're going to talk about Purim because that's, you got it. You got to talk about Purim. And if you talk about Purim, you have to be willing to be just a little bit uh, lighter than usual and maybe just a little bit, uh, maybe just, you know, find elements of Purim that are fun, entertaining, and at the same time meaningful. There's a misconception out there that Purim is like just raw fun and and there's nothing serious or meaningful about it and that would be a terrible terrible mistake so let's be clear right from the beginning that Purim is an incredibly deep mystical powerful spiritual day in fact so much so that you can actually allow yourself just to be besimcha you can allow yourself to have this incredible element of joy so that's what we're going to talk about today we're going to just just explore a little bit what Purim is, we do it every single year. Let's try to find something different about it. Let's try to find an angle, a perspective. Uh, earlier today, I thought I would have some fun, but I think maybe I uh, put it out wrong so people didn't get what I was getting at. So earlier today, I was asking if you were to direct a movie called Purim 2021, who would you cast as Achashverosh, Esther, Mordechai, Haman? And uh, people gave me the names of actors. I didn't even see that coming. I didn't see the names of actors coming. I was thinking more Purim 2021. In other words, the people who are in the newsmakers, the people who are on the front page, the people everybody's talking about, where would you place them in the Purim story if it were to be a Purim story happening today? And perhaps some people would say that the coronavirus is the Haman in the story. Who says it has to be a human being? Maybe it's just an entity, just like Haman wanted to annihilate what well, appears. But that is pretty much the idea of the coronavirus. I don't know. Uh, it's a little bit of fun. It's something a little bit lighter. It's not what we're going to focus on completely today. But I'm curious if you have if you have any thoughts. Who would you cast in the roles of the famous Purim characters if you were to take people who are in the news in 2021 and plug them into the Purim story? Who would be who? If you've got thoughts on that, you can or anything else that we speak about today on the show. You can be in touch. There's a, an SMS line, 34519. There's a Telegram number, 0618951019. There is always social media. There's the Chai FM Facebook page. There's Twitter, at Chai FM, and at Rabbi Shish. Who would you cast out of people who we know in the world today, people who are considered, I suppose, uh, famous Famous people today, where would you plug them into the Purim story? That's just for a little bit of fun. And uh, if you've got, so, as I said, some people came back immediately just with actors. And the bad part of this, is, well, maybe it's the good part, actually, is I don't necessarily know who some of these people are. So somebody said Adam Sandler to play the role of Mordechai, which is quite interesting because uh, I wonder, I wonder how much... Uh, he, he, you know, how much a person like that knows of the story. Interesting. Esther, they've got here as Gal Gadot, Achashverosh as Sasha Baron Cohen, 
And Haman, Jared Leto, I have no idea who Jared Leto is. That is that a Jewish person? Because uh, the others, at least, you know, the Jewish celebs, you kind of get to hear their names. <laughs> Don't necessarily know who the other people are. Okay, that's, you know, just kind of, I suppose, more a little bit on the fun side. Um, let's obviously take this more deep as well. So if we're going to talk about Purim characters, because we know that every single year we get up in shul, and this year, weather permitting, I think everybody's holding thumbs, We'll be doing it outdoors because it's safer to do so outdoors, outside of shul. So we'll be reading the Megillah, as they say in Yiddish, Der ganze Megillah, because that implies, of course, that it takes a long time to get through the reading of the Megillah. Some people feel that it is it just never ends. And perhaps one upside of the coronavirus is we want to keep people in the same place for a shorter time than usual. So maybe the Megillah readings are going to be shorter than usual. Well, that could be good news, I think, for everybody, right? Who would be opposed? Maybe the person who's reading the Megillah might be opposed because this is their moment. So we, we tell the story every single year, right? We read the same story, the same Purim, the same characters every single year. And the Talmud warns us, don't make the mistake. If a person reads the Megillah in reverse... You have not fulfilled your obligation. You cannot read, you dare not read the Megillah in reverse. Okay, I'm pretty sure that right now, somebody listening to this and is having some kind of an apoplexy, like, what? I can't read the Megillah in reverse. That's exactly my plan. That's what I was going to do. No. Said nobody ever. Nobody's looking to read the Megillah in reverse. What's the Gemara talking about? Why would you even think of doing that? Yes, I know Purim's an interesting time and things are a little bit upside down. And you might have a few more Lachayans than usual as is mandated on this holiday. But who on earth is reading the Megillah backwards? Why? Why would it say that? Lema Freya. So you could say, of course, that it means if a person gets lost and now you, you, you realize afterwards that you skipped out chapter two and you're already on chapter four. So you can't just go back now and do chapter two and then chapter five, right? That would be going in reverse. Okay, practical. But there's got to be a deeper meaning as there always is a deeper meaning in everything. In everything in Judaism, there is always a deeper meaning. So what's the deeper meaning here? Enter the Baal Shem Tov, founder of the Hasidic movement, a great mystic and teacher. And he says, ah, you have to realize what's going on over here. Lema Freya, don't read the Megillah. As if it is a work of history. The Chronicles of Achashverosh, which, by the way, is a thing. It really is a thing. If you have a look in the Megillah towards the end, it says that they had the Chronicles of the Persian Kings, and they used to record historical events in those Chronicles. And it, Dafka says in the Megillah that at the end of the Purim story, the whole thing from start to finish was chronicled in those royal Chronicles. That's not the Megillah. The Megillah is not another piece of history. It is dynamic. It's not once upon a time stuff. You know, tonight and tomorrow before we read the Megillah, one of the blessings that we're going to say is that Hashem made miracles, God made miracles to our forefathers in those days and in this time because that's the way we see it. There's a wormhole between Purim 2021 and the original Purim. You step into Purim and you're stepping into some kind of a time warp. And all the stuff that happened then is live right now. That's how we celebrate Jewish holidays. We don't just dust off the Megillah and say, once upon a time in a faraway land, they lived a king. That's not how it is. We open up the Megillah and we say, whoa, this is my story happening right here, right now. 
And this story is different this year to how it was last year. <laughs> you don't need a major imagination to recognize that. I mean, last year we were partying away en masse, crowds, everybody together, back slapping, hugging each other, sharing food or whatever we were doing, all the stuff that we're not doing this year. So I, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to say this year's Purim is a little different to the usual. But the way that we read the Megillah is not supposed to be once upon a time. We're supposed to read the Megillah and say it's current, it's relevant, it's personal, it's talking to me, and I've just got to discover what its message is now, this year. For me. So if we're going to do that, if that's how we're supposed to read the Megillah, and by the way, play on words, but Megillah's Esther, direct translation is the scroll of Esther, but it's a time for wordplay. Purim is a time for wordplay. So it also means, it means Megillah to reveal Esther, that which was concealed, that which was hidden. That's what we've got to do. This is the time we've got to start looking digging and trying to understand not just what's the story about, but every component. And that's why I think it would be interesting for us to have a conversation today about the characters. What lessons do you personally feel we could learn from the different characters in the Purim story? You have Ahasuerus, the king, quite an unstable character in the story. Haman, the villain. Vashti, who makes it only through halfway of the first chapter of the Megillah before she is uh, off with your headed. We have, of course, Lahavdil, we have Esther, the heroine queen, Mordechai, the great sage and guide. So what are the lessons for us? What do these characters represent for us in our lives? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And if you do have insight, share it with us. Don't keep it to yourself. 34519 via SMS. Otherwise, use Telegram on 0618951019. You know how to reach us on social media. So just do it. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. Purim, hey, the Purim is in the air. I think we need a petition um, for a new jingle for this show. Something's a little bit more upbeat. That, that, like, that little tune, I don't know. Say, it's not Purim enough. It's not joyous enough, don't you think? Anyway, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the Purim characters. Because if we're going to read the Purim story, and we're going to dig in and try and understand how it's relevant, and for now, you know, don't just sit there and wait for the opportunity to make a big noise because they say Haman's name. <laughs> that's not the goal. The goal is to resonate. The goal is to, to draw the story into our lives and make it personal to us. So the only way, really, that you can do it is you've got to identify those characters. Where do they play a role in my life? And that's why I thought earlier today when it was uh, like just a little bit tongue-in-cheek, a little bit fun, if you were casting for the uh, Purim movie 2021, who would you cast? The real reason I asked that question is, okay, we could have a lot of fun with it and say, I think Haman is, choose the particular political candidate who you hate the most. Ah, that's it, that's Haman. You know, and Mordechai is my rabbi or something like that. But the truth is, We've got to develop it a little bit further than that so that we actually have a meaningful lesson. Anybody who believes that such a powerful day like Purim it can be wasted on just having a jaw, you know, just having a good time. What a horrible loss of an opportunity, right? This is a time that is mega powerful, just as the original Purim was mega powerful. It had the opportunity, it had the potential to turn everything around from total doom and gloom to the best day on the Jewish calendar. And we have that opportunity literally every single year in Purim. And it's not necessarily about making miracles and getting rid of our enemies as much as it is about making miracles inside of ourselves. 
and, and shifting ourselves in this incredible, meaningful way. So that's, that's really the question. The question is, how do we find what it is that this Purim story has to tell us as us in the now, in this world that we're living in? That's what I'd love to hear from you. So Purim characters, let's have a look. Who are the Purim characters? What could they teach you here on Twitter? It's a lovely uh, Twitter handle. At average buffoon. <laughs> so he says Zeresh. Now there's a character that most people would have totally overlooked. Zeresh is, of course, the wife of the villain. She's the villainess, really. She's Haman's wife. And just because people generally overlook her role in the story, she is actually Haman's advisor. So every time Haman has a little bit of a wobble or he gets annoyed or he has a, a meltdown, he goes running to his wife, Zeresh, and by the way, the Megiddo says his family as well. They all kind of line up over there. And he says, what should I do next? So this uh, tweet says, Zeresh teaches you, no matter how bad your advice is, you're still the expert, <laughs> because that's pretty much what her role was. She kept dishing out this absolutely horrible advice to Haman. Uh, initially, ha horrible advice for everybody else, and subsequently horrible news for him, where she ba basically turns around and says, oh... Mordechai is Jewish, forget about it. You'll never, you're never going to have the upper hand against Mordechai. So, and, and yet he still keeps going back, knocking on her door, asking for advice. So I guess everybody has someone like that in their life. Somebody who keeps giving bad advice and you keep going back for more. Okay, interesting, interesting lesson. Maybe we can develop that one a little bit further and see if we can find something a little bit more um a little bit more spiritual, not just, you know, the bad advisor in your life. I think everybody's got at least one of those. Uh, here's Karen who says on Telegram that uh, if we're looking for Purim characters, Karen would put Rabbi Goldman as Mordechai. Rabbi Goldman from the Sydney Shul. Right, there you go. I hope Rabbi Goldman or at least a family member is listening to this because you've got to vote for the Mordechai in the 2021 Purim movie. There you go. I think that's uh, that's nice. That's really nice. Love to hear if anybody else has. Uh, we can have some fun, right? We're going to do both. We're going to do this on a fun level and on a, a meaningful level, all at the same time. So, who, who else? Who would be your Mordechai? Let's 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 make this a little bit more focused. Who would be your Mordechai? Karen says, Rabbi Goldman. Who would be your Mordechai? And by the way, before you think to do it, don't, don't do it. Don't try and uh, you know just make me feel good and put my name out there. Don't do it. <laughs> That's not what we're looking for. We're looking for people. Right? Don't try and, and, and schlup the host. Let's be real about this. Who do you think and why? So on a spiritual level, who's the Mordechai in our lives? On a spiritual level, who is the Esther character? Who is the Haman? Who is the Hashverosh character? You know, it's interesting. I once had the opportunity to read out of this kind of Megillah. The Megillah that our shul owns is not this kind of Megillah. But there, there is a Megillah that's called the Hamelech Megillah. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. So it's a style of Megillah where it's designed specifically that at the top of every column, so if you've ever looked at a Torah scroll or if you've ever looked at a Megillah scroll, you'll know that it's written in columns and there's a blank space all the way around each column. So at the top of each column in a Hamelech Megillah, the first word of every single column is the word Hamelech, which is the king. Now, of course, the king in the story is Achashverosh, who's a really strange character. Really, he is. Totally unpredictable. So much so that one of the nicknames that he had was that people used to get a headache, chashroish, used to get a headache trying to work out what the appropriate protocol. You think it's bad to try to work out the coronavirus protocols, right? Every time you turn around, the rules change. 
you got no idea. Living in Achashverosh's kingdom was far more unpredictable and unstable. And he was. He was. I think he was a schizophrenic paranoid. That, 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 that's the kind of guy that Achashverosh seems to be. He's always looking over his shoulder, always suspecting somebody of doing something that may in some way threaten him. And he changes his opinions and his views and his allegiances back and forth like you cannot begin to imagine. So that's that's Achashverosh, right? This interesting character, and yet at the same time, for a good part of the Megillah, to the extent that certain Megillahs are styled this way, he's called Ha-Melech, the, the king, definite article. And the truth is you can only say the about something which is 100% definite. And Achashverosh is not a definite king by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, one of the insults that Vashti, his uh, short-lived wife, sent him when he demanded that she should appear at the big feast. You know, if you read the first chapter of the story, there she, he's parting with all these leaders of the whole world. And he demands that his wife come and appear and do this whole uh, luring dance in front of them. And she says, that's the problem with you. You, you, you couldn't even be a stable hand in our family. She came from a real royal family, and he didn't. Achashverosh was not from a real royal family. So to call him the king is, is a bit odd. The Megillah introduces the story by telling him, Keshebeth, as he sat on the throne, because he didn't really deserve to sit on the throne. And there are a whole lot of different opinions about how exactly he got there, whether he usurped the position or he bought his way into the position, but he really was not of royal stock. So it's quite interesting that in the story we have the character of the king Achashverosh, the actual Persian king, and then we have the character of Ha-Melech, the king with a definite article, and that's the king, that's the ultimate king, the king who has absolute power, who by the way is alluded to in the word Achashverosh, because embedded in that word you have Achash, so you've got there, you've got Acharis, the end of time, and Rosh, the head, the beginning, and the mystics tell us, therefore, that Achashverosh is actually a, a term, it's like a code word to refer to God, who is in charge of everything from the beginning of time until the end of time. So that's a very easy character to identify in the story, right? The character of Achashverosh, the king, who has absolute dominion over the entire world, that is metaphoric of God. Now, of course, you'll have a whole bunch of questions say, well... It appears in the story that Ahasuerus did not necessarily behave so well. So how could that be metaphoric of God? Okay, it's Purim. Purim things are a little bit upside down. Not everything is exactly as it appears. It's a, what do they call it? A mystery wrapped in an enigma. That's really much, very much what Purim is. Okay, so that's our first character. How's about the others? What could you say? Who in your life would you cast as any of the Purim characters if you were making the movie Purim 2021? And on a more spiritual level, what for you is... Uh, Esther, what for you is Mordechai, and so on and so forth. Love to hear this comment. I'm sure people have insights. Three, four, five, one, nine. Otherwise, use Twitter at Rabashish at FM. Telegram works too. Oh six one eight nine five one zero one nine. Knowing your COVID status does not need to be costly or take forever. At Discam Pharmacies, you can reduce the cost and anxiety of waiting for results with their rapid COVID tests. Book an antigen, antigen test, which can determine if a specific virus is present currently, or an antibody test, which can determine in most cases whether you have had the virus or not in the recent past. Book an appointment at a Discam store near you, and this is how you do it. You call 061117. Four two seven. Discam, a winning mind in a healthy body. 
It's Purim at the Selwyn Siegel gift shop. They have exciting Mishloch Manot starting from just 60 Rand. Do a mitzvah and bring smiles to the faces of friends and family while making a difference in the lives of the Selwyn Siegel residents. Call them on 011-640-6413. That's 011-640-6413. Or email selwyngifts at jhbchev.co.za. Or just pop in. They would love to see you. Chag Purim Sameach. If you are new to this, if you've just joined us on the show, this is Fresh Thinking. You are with Rabbi Shishla. We're together until the top of the hour. It's just hours away from Purim. Time to get very excited, right? Isn't it? It's an exciting time, Purim. It's a time of brocha. It's a time of joy. It's a time of opportunity. It's a time to turn things on their head, to take the negative of the world and transform it, to become positive. This is the time. And it's also time for us to think, what's the lesson? What is the lesson for me? Uh, <laughs> somebody said over here on Twitter that if they would start to list their relatives for part in the Purim story, well, it might not end well. That's Purim fun. Come on. They've got to take it with a pinch of salt. Here's somebody else who's uh, also listed characters, but I don't know who half of them are. So this person says, Mordechai in the Purim story, Adrian Brody. Sorry, don't know who that is. Uh, Esther Gal Gadot, Achashverosh, Sasha Baron Cohen, and they say the reason is because he did such a good job playing the dictator. And Haman Gabriel Macht, again, don't know who that is. Who's your, who, oh, here's another one. Oh, gee, this is getting interesting. This is getting, what? This is really interesting. Okay, this is, this is absolutely Purim stuff. Gotta be Purim stuff. <laughs> so somebody's saying that, uh, Suleiman is Haman, Khamenei as Achashverosh, Jared Kushner as Mordechai. Woo, you're going to open up a can of worms with this one. And certainly in the next one, that Queen Esther as Trump. I think somebody's had their uh, Purim L'chaims maybe a little bit too soon. You're supposed to be fasting today, not yet having the Purim L'chaims. That is quite the cost. But it certainly is in the, the direction that I was thinking. Real people in the real world, right? And uh, and then casting them into into Purim roles. But really, the point over here is to make it relatable. And the reason it has to be relatable is because the Purim story is not supposed to be once upon a time. The Purim story is supposed to be current and relevant and it's supposed to talk to us. And it's supposed to really, really mean something to us in a personal way. And we're supposed to extract out of the, the story and the characters within the story insight. Insight that we can use in our own lives. Here's Leah on Twitter who says, Esther. Esther, for me, is a lesson in absolute acceptance of God's will, self-sacrifice, thinking about the wellness of the general community rather than her own, and putting their lives ahead of her life. Now, the truth of the matter is, that's quite something. You know, somebody messaged me earlier today, and it was a, it was quite a profound, thought-provoking message, actually. Somebody said, you know... <laughs> It's all very well. We're here celebrating Purim like it's the most amazing thing that ever happened. We love it. We get dressed up. We eat good foods. We we connect with our friends. You know, it's such a great time. But what of, what of Esther? It wasn't such a fun... Purim is not a fun story if you're Esther. I mean, she had to live with this maniac called Achashverosh for a period of time before and after the miracle. That could not have been easy. Like, how's it a happy time when you know that this, this is what happened to Esther? And Leia's... Um, 
tweet over here really touches the point. Esther teaches us, Esther is the character who represents the capacity to put your own interests aside in favor of the interests of the, of the community. It's quite a big thing, and in a dramatic way, actually, to the point of personal sacrifice. So it's a really dramatic story. But there's a lesson for us. But, okay, that's a lesson. That's a really powerful lesson. So then the question I suppose we have to ask ourselves is, is there an Esther character inside my persona? Because it's all very well to say there's a person who's a model. You know, you've got to be careful when you take people and you turn them into role models. You have to be so cautious that the role models you choose are not out of uh, reach. There was a, a very interesting moment with a particular chassid. His name was Rabbi Lazen Nanas. And he once had guidance from the Rebbe. And the Rebbe told him that when you look to inspire young people, you should as much as possible te- tell them stories of fellow chassidim. Because if you tell them stories of Rebbe's, of great spiritual giants, they'll say, well, that's because they're great spiritual giants, and there's no way that I could relate to that. There's no way that that's, uh, you know, accessible to me. So rather talk about people, people that we that we can access, people that we can relate to. And that's why, you're right, Esther is this incredible icon of sacrifice and willingness to put her own interests aside in the favor of the community. But do you have an Esther in you? That's the question. Can you find an Esther in you? Now, this is where we're getting into the thick of what Purim is all about. Can I find an Esther inside myself? Is there a part of myself that is powerful enough to stand up to do what is right, even if it is so incredibly, not just difficult, but risky, real risk, where, you know, she might have, who knows what might have happened um, to Esther. If that story had gone just a little bit south. So do I have that inside of myself? It's very interesting because if you have a look, you'll see that a lot of the spiritual giants, a lot of the great mystics will tell you that Esther, the character of Esther in the story, in the same way as the king in the story is a metaphor for God, Esther in the story is the metaphor for our soul. And that's why there's a marriage that happens here. There's a marriage between Esther and the king, which is meant to represent the marriage between our soul and God. And it's not so simple. It's not so simple. You don't just arrive and knock on God's door and say, hey, I'm, I'm here. I'd like to connect with you. You've got to know, is, is it an appropriate connection? Is it not? A, are you there yet? Do you deserve to enter? That was Esther's huge dilemma. What if I go into the king's antechamber and I don't have permission to be there? It could become totally counterproductive. Instead of the king saving the Jews, the king might just fly off the handle and decide to kill Esther. Now, it's no different, believe it or not, it's no different in our approach to God. The soul looking to link up with with God. Not so simple. It's not on a whim. It's not just something we choose on our own terms. There has to be some kind of relationship that is developed over the course of time a meaningful relationship that allows us the the rights to be able to go inside to be able to enter that inner sanctum and that's all represented by that scepter so there's the moment in the story where esther says i don't know if he's going to extend the scepter to me i don't know and if he doesn't extend that scepter to me i'm done i'm done it's over that scepter holds the power of life and death so if he chooses not to extend his scepter that's it. End of the line. 
And there's a certain interaction that happens between souls and God that is similar to that. Where the scepter, that represents almost like this shaft of divine energy that God sends into the world. Not just to keep the world alive, but to also create the opportunity for inspiration and connection. And we're always looking to touch that scepter. We want to kind of hold on to the other end. It's like the mystics tell us the soul is like a rope. One end of the rope is tied on high to God himself, and the other end of the rope is tied to us. And we want to make sure that the, that the two ends are, are securely tied. Because if they're securely tied, then I tug on my end and God responds. And God tugs on his end and I respond. And that's what Esther wants. She wants to, can I touch the scepter? Can we make that connection? Can, can I actually align myself with God? It's a very powerful story. How do you align yourself with God? Well, as Leah said in that tweet, by being willing to do things that are tough. That are not my interest. That are what Hashem wants rather than what I want. Do you have an insight into any of the Purim characters and what they could teach us and how we could discover their persona inside ourselves? If you do, I would love to hear it. So there's chatter on social media. We had a message earlier on Telegram 061-895-1019. You can even SMS on 34519. Hi FM, 101.9 MHz of life. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. Okay, guys, I, I'm going to have to stick to the spiritual side of things because the suggestions that are coming through for actors to play the, the roles of the different Purim characters in a Purim movie, I don't know who these people are. So here's Daniel who says on Twitter, Jeff Goldblum should play Mordechai. Okay, who's Jeff Goldblum? Excuse the ignorance. And then somebody replied to him, hmm, maybe Haman, but not Mordechai. Okay, so now I'm like really intrigued. Who is this? Who is this character? I guess after the show, I'm going to have to go Google, find out who this is. But I can tell you, I can certainly tell you more on a spiritual note, who are the characters and what do they represent? Now, this entire story of Purim, if you think about it, is very much centered around the play, the interplay between Mordechai and, uh, sorry, between Esther and the king. That's most of the story, really, if you think about it. Like the real action happens when Ahasuerus has to find a queen, and then the fact that she has to con conceal her identity, and then the fact that she turns out to be Jewish, and then the fact that she appeals, and she's the one who exposes Haman. Like, everything happens around the queen and the king and their relationship. Of course, there's a very important role to play by Mordechai, and of course, there's the villain Haman, but it all centers on Esther and Ahasuerus. So that's the first thing we have to look into in the story, is that Purim is actually a story of creating union between the soul and God. The soul represented by Esther, and God represented by Ha-Melech, the king with absolute control, as Ahasuerus, who did not deserve it, had. So obviously, obviously God deserves the control that he has. But Ahasuerus is, uh, you know, he's a Purim version, a parody of the power of God. So if you read the Megillah, you're going to see that before the queen could, she be, could become the queen, she had to go through a whole preparatory process. There was oil and there were spices, fragrances, perfumes, and it's a similar kind of thing. In order for the soul to be in a position that we can really, really connect to God in a meaningful way, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. And that's a great story to take, a lesson that we could take out of Purim. And I know people are like, what are you talking about? Purim is so serious. I always thought that Purim was just like a, a fun day, like a, you know, a Jewish masquerade party. And then that's where it begins and ends. And if you're old enough, you can start to drink. And for a lot of people, that's really fun. Not at all. Purim is deep. In fact, it's so deep they had to put a mask on it. So that people wouldn't necessarily find the depth and misuse it. 
That's why we dress up and masquerade on Purim, because there's got to be some kind of a mask. So, so what is Purim? What's happening on Purim? Purim is this, this uh, a, a stage that is set for us to be able to connect our souls to God in the single most profound way. By the way, that's why the, the whole Purim celebration is called Ad Deloyada, that you get to a point where you don't know. In, in other words, you get to a point of, re, of connection and relationship with God that is beyond anything you know. It's beyond what you think you knew. Esther started her career as a nice, religious Jewish woman. And not just any Jewish woman. She was one of the seven prophetesses. I mean, she, you know, what she knew was a very holy kind of life and a very focused kind of life. And it's not actually what her life's mission was. Isn't that bizarre? It's a completely, it's a mind-blowing thought. Here's somebody who had this spiritually oriented, deep spiritual path, and that's not what her life was about. It wasn't her mission. Mordechai says it clearly to her. Mordechai says, Maybe the whole reason that you became queen was because this is your life's mission. That's, that's what it's all about. You, everything has led you to this particular point and it looks nothing like what you would have expected. It's not anything that you knew. It's not anything that you thought. It's not anything that you contemplated. It's totally beyond. And she rises to the occasion, Esther. And she's willing to put her interests aside and her expectations and her experiences and say, you know what? This is what Hashem wants. I'm, I'll embrace it. Absolutely. Full power. Without any hesitation. We've all got an Esther inside of ourselves. Esther comes from the word hidden. Hidden inside me is that power. Hidden inside me is that ability to connect to God. Hidden inside me is the ability that I have to relinquish the stuff I hold on to so, de so dearly. I can let go of my security blankets. I can let go of all the things that I have to believe in order for me to feel like a secure human being. And I can rather go on Hashem's path. I can get, I can be led. That's Esther. Now, you've got to be careful with that, right? You've got to be really careful because anytime that a person says, I'm going to go beyond what the mind can comprehend and I'm going to follow a path, or whatever, you've got to be really careful. How do you know it's accurate? How do you know that you're not living in some kind of a spiritual delusion? And believe me, there really are people like that rarely live in a spiritual delusion telling everybody else about what amazing things they have achieved experienced and are in touch with how do you know how do you know that you're that you're actually on the right path it's fascinating how often spiritually unhealthy things can appear so spiritual so how do you know how did esther know what to do how did Esther know how she should behave when she was abducted and taken to be a candidate queen? How did she know how to behave once she was chosen to be the queen and now was going to have to live in this spiritually uh, corrupt environment? How did she know how to act when there was this crisis of what to do to save the Jewish people? How did she know any of those things? She didn't. And she knew that she didn't. And she made sure to have somebody who did. And that was Mordechai. Mordechai represents the fact that every single one of us, no matter how smart we think we are, no matter how accomplished we may well be, no matter what great talents we have, no matter what depth we have, every one of us needs a Mordechai in our lives. 
It's like the Mishnah tells us in Perkei Avot, Ethics of the Fathers. It says, Asei lochorav, that every person has to appoint for themselves a guide, a mentor, somebody with a depth of spirituality that I don't necessarily have. And that individual has to be the voice that guides me because the capacity for personal bias is so incredible that we could convince ourselves that the most horrific behavior is actually the best way to be a spiritual person. So we need an independent voice of reason of depth, of meaning, of spirituality. And that's on a personal level and on a broader level. You know, the Zohar, the classic mystical text, teaches us that there is a Mordechai in his generation who played the role that Moses had played in his generation. And so there is such an individual in every generation. One super spiritual individual, one central tzaddik, one ultimate spiritual guide to the Jewish people. And I need to have a Mordechai personality in my life. On a personal level, I've got to have a guide and mentor. And then on the broader level, I have to be able to identify that God does not leave us adrift. There's somebody, some person, some great mega tzaddik out there who has the wisdom that I need in order to know how to live in difficult times, how to live in threatened times. How to make decisions where there seems no clear way to work out how to make that decision. I'm Esther, deep on the inside, but I need a Mordechai to guide me to find my inner Esther. IFM, 101.9 megahertz of life. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. You know, sometimes the best messages come in right at the end. I don't know who this SMS is from, but it's a, it's a nice SMS. So loving the analogies and metaphors used in Esther. I make it my business as a believer to speak out against all forms of anti-Semitism, raising its ugly head again, as well as against replacement theology, which many Christians embrace against knowledge and truth. I don't know who that was from, but it's a wonderful message. Thank you for sharing. Uh, he has a cute one. Somebody says, uh, Johnny Depp as Haman. <laughs> I guess, uh, I guess, yeah, har har. I can kind of see that thing. So let's let's round this off because we're pretty much uh, pretty much out of time. So, what is the take-home message from Purim? The take-home message is Esther, which means hidden, talks to the what's hidden inside me. We live our lives, unfortunately, so often looking at ourselves just from a superficial perspective, and we look at our failures often to define ourselves. Esther, hidden inside me, is this incredible soul of mine that only wants to connect to Ha Melech, the King, the ultimate King, and is willing to do all kinds of amazing things to achieve that, even at expense of personal pleasure, personal agendas, but I have to be sure that I don't get waylaid and I don't get distracted. So I need a Mordechai in my life. The Jewish world needs a singular Mordechai, one supreme tzaddik who guides us and gives information and guidance to the entire community, as Mordechai did. And there were many other great people, including prophets at the time. And yet Mordechai was the head of them all. And everybody had to conform and listen to what it is that he had to say. We need such a Mordechai perspective and persona in our lives. And then, of course, I've left out one, right? I've left out Haman. You know why I left him out? Obviously, there's a Haman. But the entire point of the story of Purim is Haman makes a lot of noise. Haman has a bark that gives you the impression there will be a bite. But Haman is only as powerful as we allow him to be. Haman is either the internal voice that says, you're never going to succeed. 
you will always be a spiritual failure. You are stuck in old habits. Or Haman is a universal voice that says, you people, you people don't deserve a land in Israel. You people don't deserve to be the light to shine to the rest of the world and tell us what morals and values are. Haman voices are just that, noise, voices. Haman traipsed up and down, threatening everybody. And in the end, what happened? Nothing. For only one reason. Because the people stopped believing he had power. At the beginning of the story, they were afraid of him because they imagined he had power. At the end of the story, they all got together, prayed, studied Torah, fasted, committed to their Judaism in an unprecedented way. And naturally, Haman dissolved. And that's important to remember. The power lies in me. The Esther, the hidden powers inside me, it's my soul. The Haman out there, let him scream and shout and get blue in the face. I'm not going to give him airtime. I want to wish you an incredible Purim. This year is an unusual Purim. Friday going into Shabbos. If you're in Jerusalem, it's actually a three-day affair. Please God, we should celebrate this Purim with Mashiach in Jerusalem. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008.